Sarah. Save the world. Welcome to episode probably six. I think, I mean, it's going to be wrong no matter what we say. Episode six. Episode six, maybe. Of Gaia and Sarah. Save the world. <laughs> um, we thought we would try, we'll see how this goes, <laughs> um, filming a more lighter episode more lighter i love when things let's are cut <laughs> a more light-hearted episode so we wanted to take <laughs> we're going to talk about music <laughs> wait i think you need to scoot a little bit closer in and then we have a new set yeah this is our new yellow vinyl wall do you know anyone else that has a yellow vinyl wall because no. we do it's just us. It's only us. <laughs> Possible updates to the wall coming soon. Hopefully, probably, maybe. I'm like being maniacal about it. <laughs> We're gonna talk about music um, because I guess it can go into a lot of different directions. Um, where do you think we should start? Music is sick. <laughs> music is the sickest. My introduction to music, I actually distinctly remember that my favorite song when I was really young was Sweet Dreams by the Eurythmics. Oh my because god. Because my mom would listen to it all the time. Well, that's cool. I know. <laughs> and I remember listening to it in the car, and I, I think she had it on a cassette, and I would ask her to play it all the time. Oh my um, god, cassettes. So that was like my first favorite song that I remember having. Um, I'm trying to remember... Man, I don't know. My me trying to remember early memories of stuff <laughs> is always, you know, a circus. So I think I only remember that because it tied to like later in life when I was super into Marilyn Manson. Yeah. So it, like I had a connection, but I. What was your first CD? Oh, my first CD. Um, it was what the fuck was that called? The Chronic by Dr. Dre. Mm-hmm. Mine was definitely <laughs> Britney Spears. <laughs> um. Wow, that is really weird that that would be first. I was really young. I was like nine. That's funny. Did you buy it for yourself? No, I didn't. <laughs> um, I went to, I don't know if it was Best Buy. And Hopefully I, it was Media Play. It might have actually been. Um, I remember wanting it and going into the store, and I had only heard songs um, from it off the radio, and everything censored on the radio. So I had no idea what the song actually said. And I went to buy it. I remember checking out with my dad and like them pointing out the parental advisory thing on it. And he's like, oh, it's fine. <laughs> you know, my dad being my dad. Not a dad. No boundaries, just here. <laughs> um, so I got it and I remember putting it in the car and pressing play and hearing like what the lyrics actually were. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God. Um, and then I couldn't play it at home because I was playing it at home. My mom was like, what are you listening to? And I got in trouble and I had to return it and get the censored version. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I remember specifically asking for like uncensored versions of CDs. And then like I remember as a kid, Walmart only carried the censored version. Yes. So I didn't realize that at first. I remember being like really distraught over that. Oh, yeah. I was pretty much allowed to get any CD I wanted. And I would spend, like, hours, like, combing through CDs at CD stores, mm -hmm. which was kind of like record shops, I guess. And there was, like, a place called CD Warehouse that had used CDs, so I could yeah. find, like, really cool, obscure CDs there. And I would go, literally, feel so bad for my parents looking back. Like, I would just be there forever looking through every letter of the oh, yeah. and then have, like, a stack can I have all ten of these? <laughs> yeah, it was like a serious thing. Yeah. I remember like doing the same thing, spending hours going through CDs and then going over to the poster section and being mm -hmm. like, I need a poster of every band that I oh, listen yeah. to. My room was completely covered with posters. Oh like floor to ceiling. And my door was covered too. And my I had posters on my ceiling, actually. And I, I stapled them oh all my the god! Wall. I love that. I feel like... Do people still do that? Do they still put, like, things on their ceiling to look at? I don't know. I had a Manson poster. I did, too. When I was in high school. Yeah. Then I would get in trouble in school because I would cover anything I ever turned in. I would cover it with lyrics. Like, I would write oh lyrics all god. over everything. Oh, my god. Yes. All the time. 
And it felt like I remember the feeling like that it was so important. I actually remember getting in a fight with my parents because I wanted to listen to like a specific song in the car and they just didn't want to hear it. And I was like, but I need to hear it right now or I'll die. Like it felt like I had to have it. I think that's part of like what goes on with you as a teenager. Like the relationship that you have with music when you're a teenager is unlike any other period of your life on this planet. Uh, Because what's going on with your brain changing, your body changing, your hormones, everything's like black and white with like how you feel about everything. And you're just like clinging for this um, like validation of your feelings. So when you have that, you almost become addicted to it. Like Mm -hmm. it becomes like your religion. Yeah, it feels like you kind of live in it, like, and you need it. It's almost like you don't have a place to put all the ways that you're feeling. So to to hear it, like, represented in music and to hear, like, lyrics that reflect how you're feeling, is, it just is important. Like, it feels really, really good. Yeah. I remember when I was 17 and we were moving um, to what I thought at the time was, like, the middle of nowhere, like, you know, life-ruining move. <laughs> yep. Um... I would just drive around in my car for hours and hours and hours when I was, like, 17 alone. Okay. Yeah. Um, But just listening to music. Um, And I remember I would drive because we didn't sell the house I grew up in for, like, a year. And I would drive and, like, sit in the driveway of it and just listen to songs that were sad and just, like, be sad. But it was, like, cathartic. Like, it just felt good. Yeah. (laughs) That's... I think a lot of times that's why we... um, like cling to bands that we got into when we were teenagers because we formed such very unique, intense mm-hmm. bonds and experiences around the music that even as an adult, when you're different and you can look back and realize, oh, that's what that was, you still, it like holds like a place in your heart yeah. for those bands and stuff. Here's the thing. Tell me if this has happened to you because... I definitely, like, distinctly went through a period where, like, during high school, I was very polarized. Like, I listened to, like, industrial, and I listened to, like, um, death rock. It was, like, post-punk, like, um, and I listened to mostly, like, electronic, like, goth-sounding music, um, some punk, you know, it was, like, the genres of music that you listen to were, like, really important, and I listened to, like, only specific genres, anything outside that I didn't like, and then after high school, I went through a period where I started to, like, kind of, like, everything, and I still kind of, like, yep, at least one song from almost every genre of music, but I also had a weird thing where bands that I specifically, like, hated that were popular in high school, I now love. Yes. I, I love them. Like, My Chemical Romance was one that I was, like, too cool for in really? high school. Really? Oh, my God. I was obsessed with them. Like, pop punk, I was, like, too cool for it. You know, it <laughs> wasn't, like, dark enough for me. And now I love all of that shit. Like, I love it. It definitely has to do on my, you know, professional psychologist <laughs> opinion. Uh-huh. Um, I think it has to do with, like, you're subscribing to a sub, like, group of people. Right. That you're trying to feel like you fit in with in high school. Right. And in each little group of people, it's, like, you only listen to this music. You like these bands. You don't like these bands. And the weird thing is you limit your identity around it. Absolutely. And so once you get out of high school and you start to, like, get into the real world and you stop caring what people think about so much, you're like, oh, my God, I never even gave these other bands or genres a chance, and there's amazing music. Or this thing that I hated, I didn't actually hate it. I just repeated what other people said because it's just as cool to not hate something as right. it is to like it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That that oh. was like a huge resurgence. And bands that I liked in high school, like getting a little older, I would be like, oh, I hate all, That's all dumb now. Yep. And then I'd come back around where I like it all again. It's now. so weird. There's like so <laughs> many different cycles. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I've looked back at like music that I thought was like cutting edge, ahead of its time, so amazing, and I'm like, oh, wow, it actually wasn't good on any level. Yeah. It's just, I think that what we, the things that make us connect to music are different, so, like, Mm -hmm. back then, it would be, like, the most simplistic lyrics that kind of replicate, or not replicated, um, were, like, similar to how I was feeling. Oh, yeah. I'd be like, amazing song. Right. Really? Like, the structure of the song, the lyrics, like, everything, it's actually not good. Right. Yeah. Well, and I feel like it was more common 
I just feel like I don't see it in social media as much anymore. And maybe it's because social media has changed so much, but I felt like it was so common to just like repost like lyrics all the time yes. and to type out like full lyrics of songs and stuff. I don't really see that very much anymore. I mean, maybe it's still happening with like younger people, but yeah, like, I don't know. Well, I think for us it was a little different because a lot of times we actually didn't know the real lyrics. Yeah, that's true too. Like, There's so many songs that I was just like flat wrong about the lyrics. Yeah, like it wouldn't even be in the CD and you can't trust um, anything, on, anything online where people like type up the lyrics right. themselves. Right. And so like, I remember like listening in headphones and like typing out the lyrics so that I would have them because... Where was the other song? I was forgetting too. Yeah, and I think I would print it out and like bring copies of like songs to my friends at school. Like, yeah, I, I wrote this out. Like here you go. That's weird. And I also remember like particular bands that I liked. Like I remember I think writing this in my live journal. Like every new CD they come out with is like perfectly mirrors how I'm feeling. Like it's like they know what I need. Because you have, like, a such a self-centric yes. view of things. That you relate everything to yourself in your mm -hmm. life. Yeah. That's, like, a huge part of being a teenager and, like, young adult is not having a lot of self-awareness. So you relate everything to you and your personal uh -huh. experiences. And there's good and bad to it because, I mean, for the bands that are putting out this stuff, like, that's great. They, like, their fans are feeling connected to them. And I'm sure that's helping their careers. But at the same time, this mindset of, oh, this just perfectly coincides with my life and what's happening to me, that's not actually realistic. Right. Well, and it's almost like maybe a, like a technique of songwriting to write things that can be kind of like vaguely applying oh, to that's things. that's absolutely a part of yeah. writing music. But now I like so, like CDs and or albums, I guess you would call, um, and songs that like tell more specific stories that yes. are like, even, like, fictional stories being told through music, I think is really, really cool. And I didn't really have an appreciation for that the same way when I was in high school. Well, that, and like, I don't know how this became the universal way of thinking about music, but people make a lot of assumptions about the process of writing music and what artists are doing, and it's usually wrong. Like, yeah. People take a lot of songs as, like, so literal, or this is about their experience and blah, blah, blah. It might not even have anything to do with their life. A lot of, like, uh, musicians, like, especially in the pop world, they don't even write their own music. Right. So it, yeah. it's not their experience. It's literally a formula that's been proven to sound good to the mass group of mm -hmm. people so that the song will be successful. Yeah. But fans that, like, get so wrapped up in the fandom of bands or musicians, they, like, they try to apply so much meaning and, like, assumption about what the person was saying. when they to figure out that stranger's life. And they, it. they also don't realize that that's their work. Right. It's work, and it's not always literal. Right. Well, and that's something we can talk about, too, is, like, when you get too involved in infatuation with an artist. Oh, my God. It's, like, mental illness at that point. Mm -hmm. Like, the way that people... <laughs> the way that you're acting at that point is like someone who's like in a mental institution. Mm -hmm. But it's almost normalized because of the way that we view celebrities. Right. We put them on these very bizarre pedestals to where we completely dehumanize them in both the good extreme and the bad extreme to where we're not even perceiving them as a human being at all. Right. And that's just kind of accepted because it's like on a mass yeah. level that th these like celebrities aren't seen as people. Well, both sides are wrong. Like, the, the Stan fans that literally, like, fight to the death over defending, the, you know, artists they look up to that they don't know on right. any personal right. level. They have no idea who they actually are. They'll literally fight all day and night online defending them, saying who they are, blah, blah, blah. But then there's, the, like, the opposite side of that. The people that don't even try to view them as a person right. and that just tear them apart and every little mistake is just a huge smear of like on their character. When they think that one tiny snapshot tells you everything about yeah. a person when it doesn't. And both <laughs> sides are just as wrong and that's the thing that no one wants to hear. Yeah. The stands that are like obsessive and defending and he's just an amazing person, she's the best person ever. 
that's just as unrealistic mm-hmm. as saying, nope, fucking trash, they're terrible, <laughs> they did this, unforgivable, I know that they meant this. Right. Both just as crazy. Them. You don't know them, you don't, yeah. It's it's weird. It's yeah. It's really weird. It's really weird. I definitely have a feeling now, and I've really held this feeling for a really long time, that, like, I have no interest in really, like, meeting artists that I look up to, like, at all. Especially in light of, like, the Me Too and, like, all this yeah. horrible stuff that's been coming to light about different actors and artists at left and right. I'm, like, it's really tough because it's, like, separating art from artists. I don't I don't even know where I stand on that. Like, it's I've gone really back and forth about it. It's really hard, but I'm, like, I don't want to meet don't meet your idols. Just don't. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, that's been my experience. I have somehow been lucky a lot since I was a teenager mm-hmm. and have met the majority of, like, the people that I looked up to or artists or people I've been big fans of. And not all the time was it bad, but I can tell you now looking back, it completely changes how you see them. It changes how you hear the music. And in the end isn't worth it yeah like it's not worth tearing down that barrier that is there for a reason so that you experience them differently yeah you just I think that barrier is there for a reason I even have certain bands that I will not even look at what they look like really yeah because like a, a few musicians I like love the the vocals so much. I think it's so beautiful. I'm like, I don't even want to tie a human being to this. Yeah. Like, I just want to experience this voice only as voice. Yeah. (laughs) So there's, there's a few bands. I've never looked them up. Like, I don't know what they look like. That's kind of cool though, because we naturally are such judgmental creatures that it probably would slightly change your perception of what you're Mm -hmm. hearing. I don't think it's healthy to have that direct connection to the artists that you look up to and anything like that because what it's done is like our generation with the artists that we loved we had no way of directly reaching them at all instagram didn't exist i did feel like i was fated to meet certain people and i would like calculate like when i'm 18 they'll be this old i would do that i know i did too it's fucking obsessive like, but if I could have, like, spoken to them, I could see myself, like, the way I was, like, obsessively being like, they'll see my message, they'll see my message. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad happy. I didn't have that. I'm so happy that we didn't yeah. have Instagram and Twitter pages yeah. of the artists that we look up to, to, like, comment and stalk and talk about every single day. <sighs> That's giving me anxiety. <laughs> like, it's too much. Like, it's too much focus on them and not on yourself as yeah. a whole person. And on the other side of them looking at that, it's so invasive. There's so much um, expectation of explain this, talk about this, you know, address this, that it's like there's, it completely like ruins the barrier between this is an artist versus this is a person that you talk to every day. And it's not healthy to have that like just gone. Mm -mm. That's fucking weird. There's so much entitlement in like fan bases now oh because yeah of these you have rights to answer yeah and you have rights to explain this hey why didn't you do this hey hey just stop like support the art go to the shows and just please and leave it, it at that yeah anything else it's just i don't know i personally feel like it's inappropriate i don't think there's, there's anything wrong to talk about the bands or art that they produce but when you are like your life is like revolved around trying to facilitate communication between you and someone that you do not know personally there's something off but I think I definitely would have felt like that I know I would have felt like that when I was a teenager oh that's so weird to think about because we're we don't act healthy and rational right when we're teenagers I had like true like delusional like fantasies about meeting people I looked up to so did I like delusional i did too i used to be like i'm gonna sneak out of my house and go to the show that i'm not allowed to and they're gonna see me and then we're gonna like have this immediate like eye locking connection at the show (laughs) and then they're gonna they're gonna select me to hang out with them and then we're gonna start dating and like i went like that's what it's like to be a teenager you are so irrational yeah and 
oh my god, I'm just so happy that we didn't have any way of, like, putting this stuff on uh -huh. the internet because it's so embarrassing. Yeah, oh my gosh. Ooh, that, yeah. I mean, I did have a friend who would write, like, fan fiction about bands. Oh, man. And then she would print that out and bring it to school, and I would read it, and it was awesome. And I, I loved it. There's so much creepy fan fiction online that's so bizarre. Yeah, fan fiction is a, is a cool world. It's interesting. So every now and then I get like in, into that, but not for bands. Oh, I do it for like shows. For shows, I'm Fictional like, characters. I need more of this. Fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't feel like that's weird. No, I think it's great. I Wait, let's talk about the first show we ever saw. Okay. The first show I ever saw was Corn. My dad you? took me. I think I was 12. Or 13. Oh my god, that's crazy. It was awesome. We rode... Did we... I remember either... I think my dad drove us to the first show. He took me and my sister, who's even younger than me. Oh my god. Saw corn. It was the first time I saw boobs in real life. Because the girl was like flashing. Uh-huh. Which I feel like doesn't really happen anymore. Everyone's... Maybe at like a festival. Kind, it depends on what kind of show you're yeah. at. Yeah. But like it was like at Phillips Arena. I know. I was okay. just like... Those are boobs. Wow. Great. Um, now I'm gay. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it happens. That's how it happens. Um, but it was really cool. I thought my dad was just like the coolest dad because he took me. Um, and he, of course, you know, he's like, sure. <laughs> I don't wow. get it, but it's fine. And then he, he later took me to like a few other shows too. Like he took me to see the a couple times, but he just wanted to go. So that was cool. Um, yeah, that was my first show. And then... I started, like, writing Marta to see shows, like, by myself. I can't believe you were allowed to do that. Marta. Yeah, I've That's never... That's Atlanta's public transportation train. I've never even been on Marta. <laughs> well, I went alone at 15. <laughs> Terrifying. Yeah. I know. Um, why? My first show was in the 8th grade, so it was, mm -hmm. like, 13 or 14, mm -hmm. and it was Seven Dust. Oh. <laughs> uh, because... The singer Lejean was the next door neighbor to my boyfriend at the time. Really? So he like was like, "Hey, you guys want to come to the show?" And I was like, "Cool. I've never been to a concert cool. before." Yeah. And we went, and we also had backstage passes. And I just remember like in my head being like, "I wonder if rock is really like what you see in the movies." Yeah. And he was like such a cool, chill guy. And I got there, and there was like boobs everywhere, blunts being passed yeah. around, and I was just like. Where yeah. am I? Uh huh. Super cool. He's super nice. Um, but yeah, that was my first experience. I was just like, wow, there's a lot of shit out there. <laughs> yeah. I started, like, pretty much right after that, started going, like, that's what I did every single week. Like, I would oh, go see so multiple cool. bands. And at one point, I tried to write down, I'm not left handed, I tried to write down a whole. <laughs> <laughs> I just scratched you. I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, like a whole list of all the bands I've seen. It was like over 300. Oh my god. So this is all I used to do as a teenager. That's crazy. Earlier today I was talking about a story where I saw a guy light his dick on fire at a show. Oh my he god. He was the guitarist. At Swayze's? At Swayze's, which is where I lived, which I was like a that. tiny little venue in Swayze's. Georgia. Lots of stuff happened at Swayze's. That's where like every local band played. Yeah. That's, I would see all the local bands, um... I had a lot of friends who were in the punk scene, a lot of friends, mm -hmm. like, in the hardcore scene, and a couple friends in the goth scene, a couple, who had bands, but not that many. Um, but I would go see all my friends' bands and their friends' bands, but then I would also go to, like, huge, you know, major concerts. I used to go see Guar all the time. That was I've still shit. never seen them. Well, then he fucking died. Oh, see, I didn't even know that happened. They still play just without Odorous, the main guy. But that was really fun. <laughs> wow. But the best shows I've ever seen are Nine Inch Nails shows, which is my favorite band, so it makes sense that I think that's the of best. Of course. But seriously, like, so good. I'm trying to think. Oh, yeah. Okay, so wait, wait. First one, Seven Dust. Second one I went to was Disturbed. Was oh, like, I saw Disturbed. That was when I was, like, 16. We were probably at the same fucking show, probably. Um, Is it with Corn? No, it wasn't, because I would have been like out of my mind. I was so into corn in middle Me school. Too. Um which is so weird. Oh wow wow I guess we can start linking this to I'm like, oh these bands I listen to. Oh I've met them. Right. I wanna <laughs> talk about why I liked corn is because of Queen of the Damned. 
Queen of the Dan. Queen of the Dan. To Damned. this day, best soundtrack from a movie yeah, ever. Yeah, I still listen to the oh soundtrack all the time, and it's the reason I turned goth at 12. Like, it's, it's why. Like, I was like, oh. oh, I wanted to devote my life to being a fucking vampire. I will never forget how both the movie and the soundtrack just ignited something in me. That's literally at the same time that I got into goth culture. Like, the next day, I was like, Mom, I'm throwing away all my colored clothes. Yeah. I only wear black now, and I'm actually a vampire. <laughs> That's why I colored my hair red when I was, like, 13 or 14. To be like, Jessie? Yeah, I was like, oh, I want to attract Mia Lestat. There's Lestat. <laughs> yeah. No, and I remember hearing Jonathan Davis's voice, like, in the film, and being like, how can a human being even fucking make this voice? His voice is so unique. I was like, only a vampire could make that sound. Like, he's clearly a real vampire. It definitely stands out. It really does. So, I was just obsessed with that. Man, like, goth culture, like, in the early 2000s was the best. It was the best. It was the best time period of it ever. There was ever. So, like, we don't sound like old people. We like, are time. It's <gasps> was though there were so many great bands like yeah so many great music videos yeah so many great movies new metal i, miss I love new metal the music videos from that genre i i love new metal new metal it has like a special place in my heart that's one of the genres too that i like revolted against it was like it's not cool and really? now again i'm like no it's fucking cool and it was not like i never like publicly hated it but there was definitely a period where it was like i'm not gonna listen to Slipknot, and now I like oh, run man. to Slipknot like every day. I'm like, we can go really fast to Slipknot. Oh my god, <laughs> that was what my ninth grade uh, yearbook photo is in a Slipknot hoodie, hell like, yeah, dripping like watery, like black eye makeup, being like, <laughs> don't smile, don't smile. I'm don't upset smile. permanently. <laughs> People uh, are shit, okay? <laughs> yeah, that would have been like my yearbook quote. Oh my god. Um, yeah, yeah, so, new metal is amazing. Wait, how did we get here? What were we talking about? We were talking about like, the progression. I think like the next era of shows was when I got into Juggalo World. Ooh. Okay, Let's so dive the fuck in. The first concert I went to where I experienced what I would call like the phenomenon of like a tight knit fan base was when I went to a Twisted show when I was 16 or 17. Mm -hmm. Um, It, like, changed my life forever. Like, that was back when, like, Juggalo shows at the Masquerade, the original Masquerade in Atlanta, it was, like, a known thing. You show up four to five hours before doors Um, open. There's, like, a barbecue in the back grass area, and people just hang out for hours and hours. like a tailgate. (laughs) Yeah. Um... And then, so that was the first time, and then less than a year later, might have not even been, like, a couple months, went to see Twisted again, and then I met them, mm. and I, that was, like, a life-changing experience for me, because that's, like, you know. I remember that. It was, like, a huge group that I looked up to, and it was amazing. Man. That's cool, though. I just remember being, like, for, like, months afterwards, I was, like, that's the best day of my life. Oh, yeah. I remember at... I think, like, the second or third time I saw Korn, John Davis, like, touched my hand. Like, I ran up to the stage, like, everybody was leaving, and he, like, walked back over to, like, grab my hand, and I was like, I'm never washing this hand. Never. Like, I literally was like, why would I ever wash my hand again? Never. Like, I won't. And then, was, and then I got to see in, I think it was 2000, I want to say 2005, and it was the first time... Nine Inch Nails had toured in six years, so the tickets sold out in, like, one second. You had to, like, go stand physically in line to get tickets, and I got to see Nine Inch Nails at the Tabernacle, which is, like, a really small venue, and they don't, I mean, they can't really, like, play small shows like that anymore, so it was really cool to see this, like, huge band that hadn't played in years and years at this more, like, intimate venue. I love the Tabernacle. It's my favorite. It's so pretty. Yeah. It was... It was so cool. That's still one of the best nights of my entire life. It was the first time I ever saw them, obviously, because I would have been, like, seven the last time they played a concert (laughs) or something. Um, And it was just fucking sick. It was so sick. And then most of the shows I've seen them at since then have been, like, arena shows until recently, which I've seen Nine Inch Nails now, I think, nine times. Oh, wow. Yeah, eight or nine times. Um... 
And I saw them at a theater. I saw them at the Fox Theater in Atlanta, which was also really cool. That is really cool. And that, they did it, like, old school. Like, you had to wait in line to buy tickets at the box office. I heard. And so I was out of town on a trip for work, and two friends of mine waited in line for six hours to buy our ticket. I remember I had friends in L.A. that were doing the same thing, and I was like, what do you mean you have to stand in line to get the tickets? Yeah. Like, okay, Trent. Okay. All right. But, no, I think think his commitment to, like, honoring, like, old traditions is really cool. It's really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen them once. And then they just recently, like, stopped touring for a really long time. Then they did a festival, so I went to New York just to see them at a festival. Oh, man. (laughs) Uh, Which was nuts. It was, like, on an island in New York. That's cool. We were, like, take a boat to get to it, and then it was just, like, I'm not a festival person. I hate festivals. I I really don't like Uh -uh. them. I had a great time. My fiancé, my boyfriend at the time, was, like, standing there, like, oh, my God. Um, so, but it was, it was really fun, but it was crazy. Um, and I think we bought, like, passes to the whole festival and saw, like, two bands, because we were just like, this is not, this is not great. Um, but Night Nails was awesome. And then I saw them again in Vegas, traveled there, because they just played, like, a one-off show there, and then I almost went to Japan to see them. Oh my god. I know, but then I decided not to go through with it, because I was like, that's ridiculous. But then I ended up going to Japan and leaving, like, two days before they played there. So I have a big regret about not seeing oh, them in man, Japan. Oh, man, that sucks. I'm like, can I just not get on my flight and just go to this sold-out show where I don't know where it is in Japan? But so. I mean, I would love to have seen them more. Like, I have so much regret about the time frame in which I got into bands because yeah. right now, like, my favorite band is Muse and has been since, like, I think 2012. See, I've seen Muse once, too, but it... It was at, like, a place that was not a good place to see them. Really? It wasn't, like, a mute. It was at BlizzCon. So, like, the big Blizzard convention. Like, a video game convention. Um, And it's literally, like, in a big convention hall. And I've seen... I saw Linkin Park there, like, a year before Chester died. So... Which was, like... we, We stayed for the songs that we remembered from... Like, when we were younger, which I still love. And we're like, this is great. And then they started playing newer songs, and we just kind of left, and... I wish I stayed for a whole thing, because it was, like, a year before he died, which is sad. Um, but anyway, I saw Linkin Park there, and it didn't sound good. Like, it sucked. And I've seen Linkin Park before, too, and I knew that they could play a good show. And then Muse also, like, did not sound good. Yeah. Um, it's just bad acoustics. Muse is interesting because um, they basically, like, now only play, like, arenas, and they do yeah. festivals and stuff. But, yeah. Um, Oh my god, I just, I don't even have words to describe what it's like to see Muse. I have seen a billion bands and artists, and nothing ever does and ever will compare to their shows, because even if the album that they're touring for wasn't good, it wasn't your favorite, the level of production that they put Mm -hmm. in for their shows is like mind melting. Yeah. You literally feel like you're like on psychedelic drugs without being on anything just because you're just like, am I watching I almost fell out of the chair. <laughs> am I watching a band right now? Or yeah. am, am I in an alternate universe where there's confetti raining down on me, drones flying around me, ninjas propelling down from the ceiling, monsters, like a full marching band with neon decals, like there is just no way to describe it's it. It's crazy. That's how um, Nine Inch shows used to be. Really? Like, insane production value with, like, interactive lights. Like, he would have, like, a light screen behind him and then, like, another layer of it that looked like a net. And then, like, there were another layer of it. So it, like, looked like 3D lights that were going everywhere. And it would, like, play stuff that coincided with the story of the albums and then he would have, like, a whole choir. Like, it was so insane. Cool. But now he doesn't do any of that. Because he's like, everyone started doing that, so I quit. <laughs> I'm like, alright, you always have to be cooler than everyone. But, um... That's so cool. I know. Like, that's another thing. Like, I, I guess it depends on... It's, it's I guess, dependent on each situation. But a lot of times I'll go see bands that I really like. And there's no energy mm-hmm. with them on stage. And that's always disappointing as a fan. But also, I know the other side of it, that there's a lot of reasons why that can happen. Right. But when you do get to experience, like, 
the show with the full production and everything. I just think it shows when there's artists who are like perfectionists and they think about every single detail and it's really cool to experience that. It's a huge statement about who they are as artists and how mm-hmm. much they care about their art because the type of production that goes into this, like people have no idea how much money that costs. Oh yeah. It costs a shit ton yeah. of money and that money gets taken away from what the artists make at the end of the tour. Right. So like I just... I don't know. Like I think I, that Muse doesn't even make. Money I was about on to say tours. I was listening to an interview with Trent Reznor not that long ago, and he was talking about how he would put all this money into it, and he never made money. And yeah. I'm like, well, of course he's in a privileged position of not yeah. needing to make it, money, but at this point in their careers, like right. they can afford to do it, right? And at that point, you're literally just doing it for fun, and just because that's what you want to give. Yeah. Most fans are not in that position, right. yeah. But man, like so cool to experience that though. It's unreal, and. The something unique I experienced with going to Muse shows and their fans is that their fan base is unlike any other fan base I've really? ever experienced because, okay, you go to a Marilyn Manson show, pretty much everyone looks exactly the same. They're all wearing the same types of stuff, same style, same attitude. Like, it's pretty much, you mm-hmm. know what to expect. Me going to Muse shows blew my mind because there's like no demographic of Muse fans. Yeah. Like, the age range when I'm there is, like, 13 to, like, 65. See, that's cool. I think that's when you know an artist is really, like, set apart and going to, like, have an impact for a really long time is when it's, like, ageless and timeless and it's not tied to a specific trend. And I... I don't know specifically about Muse, but they do, like, concept albums. Oh, yeah. They're, like, heavily I just think stuff like that is, like, transcendent of time. Yeah. Too. Like, there's there's albums and songs by Muse that I used to listen to and have no idea what it was about. And now that I'm getting older and, like, have had certain experiences, I'm like, oh, my fucking God, Mm. that's what Matt was writing about. That's cool. It's super fucking cool. And it's, the like, back to the fan base thing, it was, like, such a welcoming environment that's the only like concert that i ever feel safe going to completely alone yeah where i don't worry about getting like bothered by men or having like girls doing crazy stuff with whatever the situation is there is no problem no drama everyone is just like so kind like i remember like losing my place and where i was standing because i had to run to the bathroom and then i came back and like the people were like oh did you want to get right back here what that Who doesn't are happen you? ever. Yeah, everyone's just so fucking nice. That's cool. That's really cool. That's awesome. I just I love Muse. I love the <laughs> fans. Just love everything that they do. Yeah. I just... Well, okay. I'm pretty sure that Tremessner's son and Matt Bellamy's son have a band. Yeah. Like, they're little and they play music together. Oh I'm God. pretty sure I read that. Like, imagine the potential that you start off with having when, like, those are your fucking parents. Well, and Turner's wife, Mary Queen, they make music yeah. together, too, and that band is fucking sick. Uh, I, I haven't listened to Angels. It. It's so sick. Really? I've yeah. only like, been told about it. Oh, my God. I listen to them all the time. It's so good. That's so cool. I love when people do that. Like, I love the fact that they're married. I know. And, like, taking on this artistic project together. Yeah. Like, God, that's cool. I know. It's cute and badass. Hi. We're back. Um, okay, so why does it feel good to listen to music? Because it's religion. Because Great. moving on. It's a, I feel like it's a universal like spiritual tie for all humans because while we're all so different, we all tend to have like that very deep connection to mm-hmm. music and it validates our feelings and unites us like in our humanity. Yeah. Something there's something so good about just pausing from everything else and just experiencing a song, just like being in a song. And I'm definitely one of those people who will be like, this is the one song and we'll listen to the same one song over and over on repeat. Um, Genji, what's he doing? Uh, Hey, Hey, do you want to get up here? Okay. And I I actually tend to find, um, are you coming? Just come on. There you go. You're on the show now. This is what you wanted. Yeah. Um, instrumental songs. I don't know. Oh, yeah. That feels the most, like, mm. You know what's super <laughs> weird is this is, I feel like this is the power of music, too. Um, my biggest actual triggers are music. 
Really? Oh yeah. Like what? Like songs you tie to times or situations. Yeah, and that's something like okay. That sucks. Let me just put this advice out there. Do not tie songs and bands that you like to people because it will ruin it. I do have that with a couple things. It, yeah. I have like songs and bands I like straight up can't even listen to anymore. Damn. It's really that powerful with me. Like even if I hear like the first three seconds of the song, my chest starts like tightening. And sometimes it's not even just like, oh, it reminds me of something bad. I just get so emotional when I listen to music yeah. that sometimes it's really out of control. Like I have songs that I ball my oh, I eyes too. out to I too. every single time I hear them. It doesn't even make a difference how many times I've heard it. Like I will like cry, like ugly cry yeah. so I'm like <laughs> Like, <laughs> I have a, a few songs like that, and then there's one album, do you ever feel like you have to cry, but it's, like, stuck? Yeah. And it, you need to, like, dislodge? Yep. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just vomit. Cute. There's an album that I found that when you really, really need to cry on, like, a deep, horrible level about real shit, this album, I need to look up what it is. It's just an album that this guy fucking wrote when his wife died, and every song is about his wife dying. Oh, God. And I've listened to it only two times ever, and just, like, ugly sobbed the whole time, but, like, I needed it. Yeah. And, and oh, wow, there's the real hair storm. Just making our footage so good. Oh, let me not set you on top of the dog. <laughs> okay, the album is called A Crow Looked At Me. By the band Mount Erie. And do do not listen to it unless you feel like fucking bawling your face off. I have such a fucking boner for like sad music. You should listen to that album. It's the saddest shit I've ever heard in my life. Oh man, I, I'll have to. I've made a fucking public Spotify playlist that if, if anyone wants to look it up, it's called The Coldest Nights. You can oh, search I it, look it up. on Spotify. There's like a photo. I have one called like I Think Feelings and it's all songs that make me cry for if I just want to cry a bunch of songs in a two a bunch of songs in a row. Just like heart-wrenching songs and of course they're heart-wrenching to me because I'm like oh because it's the thing we talked about where you're like this song was from this era and it means this. And yeah. Songs that are basically ruined for yeah. me. Yeah. Um, I had a, the name of a song that I self-tattooed into my own body that I have covered up now. I was, I was like looking, I was like, I see fruit. You can still see it right here. Oh, See those little yeah. teeny lines? Yeah. It was the name of an eyeshadow song, but it was more about a person. So I was like, I'm fucking getting that off of me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I did, I did put a little lyric there. That's, I get so weird about that. Like if I, I think tattoos and putting stuff on you permanently, you have to really, really, really think about stuff because you know what? There's a lot of lyrics and bands and stuff that I like that doesn't mean that it needs to be permanently on my yeah, body. Yeah, I know. So that's like a hard decision to make. But at the same time, I'm like... But does it matter that much? I'm like, I kind of want Muse stuff on me. I want two different Nine Channels things that I'll probably get, but I'm putting it off like as long as I can just... Well, that and you know that your interest in them has stayed the same for X amount of time. Like, that's what's so reckless. For, like, 15 plus years. Yeah. yeah. That's what's reckless about making these decisions on your 18th, 19th birthday. Right. Like, no one wants to believe it at the time, but you are probably going to regret those tattoos. Right. It's just what happens because you just, you change. And it's not that you even stop liking those yeah. things. It's just that you get to a point where you're like, do I really want that tattooed on me? I can still like it without it being on my body. But... When your interests have remained the same for, like, X amount of time. Yeah. I feel like that's a safer way to make a decision. But then it's still, like, words. I don't know. It's tough. I'm gonna I think, get it, though. It's <laughs> Let's talk about things that are portrayed and romanticized in music. And let us know if y'all want an episode about romanticism. Because oh. we've been talking about doing an episode on it. But things that get romanticized in songs... Aren't this, healthy. This is in lots of forms of art. Movies, TV, and music, though, I would say, like, come to the top. And it sucks. Like, there's so many love songs that I feel like I've had to break up with because I'm like, oh, this is actually bullshit, and I can't even feel good when I listen to it anymore. Like, 
because it just sounds like unhealthy and terrible. Well, that's the thing is we'd have to start with like talking about the ways that we are taught that love is supposed to be and love is represented as like codependent and being obsessed with mm -hmm. the person that you're with, being possessive over the you person that you're with, having no life outside of them. You can't breathe or eat or sleep without them. Yeah, that's not love. That's codependency. And obsession and, um, or just like lust and infatuation. Like, the, I don't know, the way love is represented in, I would say like 90% of love songs is just like not good. Yeah, like going out of your mind and all of these things and not being able to function without another person. Like, these are very real things that we feel. And I'm not invalidating that experience. No, but it's almost like you get to, like, reinforce it by listening to songs about it and, like, justify it. And you, it also tells you, like, that it's normal and good, kind of. That's what's so hard. This I don't is, know, though. This is the conversation that we had, like, a couple, uh -huh. I don't know, a couple weeks back when we were eating, is... Is the responsibility on artists to stop romanticizing toxic themes right. and concepts to their fans? Or is it we're writing about it because it's toxic? Like, is it... Because I know, like, personally, as someone who has, like, artistic ability... Like, I don't feel inspired to draw at all unless I'm, like, feeling shitty and then yeah. I want to draw. So maybe it's the same... Like, we were just talking about, like, you can't know the artist, but, like, is there a social responsibility to not represent love that I, way? I, I just, know. I don't even know if it's necessarily about the love aspect. The thing that, like, bothers me the most is when artists, like, romanticize, glamorize, cherish, worship, whatever, being broken and yeah. stuff like that. I don't think there's anything wrong with someone talking about their, their uh, mistakes and like, the hard times they've been through, but... It makes me feel a little uncomfortable when I see artists that have been around for a long time that are still writing about being, I'm broken, I can't be fixed, right, and, and, and stuff like that. That that personally rubs me the wrong way because I'm like, yo, like, is that really how you want to be represented? And is that the, like, message that you want to put out there to people? Or should you kind of just be getting your shit together? Yeah, there's definitely artists that I really loved as a teenager that I no longer like because I feel like they're still writing the same songs and the same album over and over again. And I think the the artists that I've really stuck with that I really love are ones that have, like, grown and evolved. Yes, I love watching the evolution of an artist. Yeah. Watching them grow up in a certain way on a personal level and having that reflected in, like, their song themes yep. and stuff like that like there I don't think there's anything normal about someone still talking about the same type of like like circular pain cycles that they've been in when they were 20 versus now they're like 37 40 45 right like how are you not developing beyond that or are you formulating these songs to just appeal to the mass of people because the mass of people just are like looking for that to be okay. Yeah. I don't know. It's confusing. Well, I feel like there's, like, a high suicide rate and a high, like, addiction rate in artists, too. And maybe oh, yeah. it is because they're stuck in those feelings. And whether it's from feeling pressure to have to keep writing about that, mm -hmm. that makes them feel stuck in it. Or maybe it's, like, a mental thing that they can't move past. I don't, I don't know. I think there's so many different, like, layers to it. I think that um, feeling like you have to write certain themes to make your fan base happy is like it's a good business move and I understand why people do it like there's you know especially in like certain genres of music you have to do what your fans want right. because you literally can't survive without that money right but then the other side of it is it, it like stifles you as a person to be anything beyond that like you're not mm -hmm. allowed to grow without like your fan base judging you coming down on you saying you sold out and it's it's just a toxic mess yeah but yeah, I don't know. Is the responsibility on the artist to not glamorize pain or is it on the listener to stop constantly consuming pain cycle songs? And just to know where that line is and to know fiction from reality. Like, I don't know. It's a, I think it's a really complicated thing. Yeah, I don't have the answer. I, I don't either. That's something we've been talking about a lot lately. Like, I think we text each other, like, a few months mm -hmm. ago, like, wait, are all love songs ruined? And we're just like, yeah, I guess they are. Like, that's, that's something I have such a hard time dealing with. Yeah. Like, once you learn about what codependency is and romanticism, it is, like, ripping, like, 
I don't even know. It's like ripping the fucking band-aid off. It's like seeing the fucking matrix. It is because you start to realize, oh my God, every dysfunctional relationship has these patterns. Yeah. Every love song has these unhealthy elements to it. And then how do you navigate? Do you just go, oh, well, it's okay because it's supposed to be overly dramatic because it's art? Or do you go, no, that's not healthy. That's not what we should be focusing on. Right. I don't know. I don't know either. That's, I think, why I like story songs and, like, concept Uh albums. And I just gravitate towards that, like, more so than I do other types of lyrics now, I guess. But then there's, there will still be songs that are, like, toxic and, like, Mm -hmm. describing, like, unhealthy stuff that I still like. So, I don't know. I think the difference is that I can listen to those songs that, like, have, like, unhealthy themes or whatever to them. And I don't look at them as, like factual. Right. I don't look at them as this is a way that I want to feel. This is a way I want to deal with things. Mm-hmm. I look at it as this is a way that I can feel that I have felt that people feel, but it doesn't need to be like what I want to be in. Well, I do think I use song lyrics to be like really self-indulgent when yeah. I was younger and to like definitely like drag myself down and down and down like further in an unhealthy spiral because I was having that reinforced you know, and it just wasn't easy to make a distinction at, at certain points in my life. That and, like, that's how a lot of young people are making friendships or bonding is through... almost It's almost like trauma bonds mm-hmm. within, like, um, a fan community. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you're depressed and have, like, an anxiety disorder and hate the way that you look. I do, too. I like these songs that talk about that. Now we're all friends based around these really unhealthy themes. Yeah. It's like... I feel like it's good because then you have people that understand how you feel and maybe you can like support each other. But at the Mm -hmm. same time, if that is what you're relating on solely, that's not even a real friendship. That's literally just a trauma bond. Yeah. Damn. It just makes you think about shit so much. And then I'm like, do we just think too much into music? Yeah. Maybe. (laughs) But I don't know. I mean, that's something that's definitely been on my mind. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't listen to music as much as I used to. Really? Mm-hmm. Because I usually listen to books and stuff. I've been trying to do that more, like, podcasts and books and stuff. Um, I very rarely, like, listen to music. But at the same time, I listen to background music all the time. Like, I always have music playing. Like, at work, there's always music. So, I'm always hearing music. But as far as, like, having that that amazing like spiritual experience of music that we were talking about I don't I don't do that as often as I used to um yeah it definitely isn't um it doesn't happen for me as much as it used to but I also have a personal theory that that's because I have figured out a lot of what these like huge sparks from within are Mm -hmm. because I used to say like um okay this artist this song um okay okay great example I'll just be (laughs) liberal with it okay so 2015, Muse started putting out singles from their Drones album. Drones is a concept album that's both political and also not political. It's about what it's like to be in love with a psychopath. So that actually did mirror what was going on in my life right then. Yeah. So I felt this immense emotional connection. And when they released um, Dead Inside, I can't, I like, I'm like starting to like feel like emotional talking about it. I bawled my eyes out so hard that I, like, couldn't even function. Yeah. Um, and I used to say, like, um, Muse is so amazing. They just created this music that makes me feel this way. But now I look at it, I'm like, the music didn't make you feel that way. It's something that's already inside mm-hmm. of you. It was almost, like, unlocking it. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's not that... I don't think it's the artists make music that makes us feel some insane way. It's like like a channel. Yeah. Like that's already inside of you. It's just being pulled out in the form of art. Yeah. But I used to like give it all credit to me is be like, they write these songs that make me feel like this and this and this. I already feel those ways. Yeah. Like that's stuff that's buried in me. Yeah. That's, I think that's cool. Like that's a cool thing about music is because um, I like we just released the defense mechanisms episode and, and you have such a tendency to be de- in denial and I think music can help you tap into things that you're actually in denial of and you don't even know. Mm-hmm. So it's like 
I'm crying over the song, like the song is amazing, but in reality it's like, it's just putting on display like the feelings that you actually are grappling with all the time. Yeah, like, okay, what is your opinion on, I remember like being a teenager and being like, oh, this, this album like saved me from like this terrible place I was in. And what is your opinion on that? Do you really think that the, the music and the artist is to be credited with that? Or is it you? Because you're the one who makes the decision to get through something. Yeah. I think it's like, it's almost like an anchor point where if you feel like you have nothing and nobody, which is an easy way to feel mm-hmm. at any point in life, especially though when you're young yeah. and you're still like searching for your own identity. Um, but even as an adult, like if you're just not connecting with people and you feel like music is like an anchor point, then I think it can definitely feel like it was like the, the lifeline that you needed. But I, I still think the strength probably came from you, but it's like, okay, to make it like about the gym, like if you're like doing an exercise, it's always like the same amount hard. But if you know that you only have like 30 seconds left of what you're doing, like you can just like, you can just like fight harder because it's like in your head that you can do something that your brain is saying like you can't do it you know so it's like it's like changing your perception of the situation yeah like that's what I'm saying though is it the music that creates the hope or do we just tell ourselves that it's the music and it's really us like because the only person that's ever going to get you through anything and pull you out of anything is yourself yeah yeah I mean that's what I think it like gives you that extra little boost of strength because like okay you're doing that exercise, you're like, I'm not going to be able to do this anymore, I have to stop right now, but then you're like, okay, I only have to do it for 30 more seconds, you can suddenly do it, like, twice as hard. Like, it gives you, like, the, the change in your perception gives you inner strength that you didn't realize you had, but it was, I think it was always you that's the whole what, time. That's what I think. I feel yeah. like it's, it's, we have all these strengths and abilities to do things and get through things. Yeah. And I think that a lot of times, similarly to how religious fanatics are, they like, anytime they get through anything, anytime a, a good accomplishment comes, they, they, put it they literally don't take any like, I did this. I did this on my own. They go, it's all because of the Lord. It's all because of right. God. I think that fans do that with artists and music in the exact same way. They go, this album did this. This song did this. You did it. Why don't you want to credit yourself? Yeah. Do you think it has something to do with, um, I feel like I'm going to be totally wrong, but wasn't there a situation where a bunch of babies died because no one touched them? Yeah, that's a real thing. Yeah. So do you think it has something to do with, like, humans, like, physically can't survive without connection to other humans? Oh, we absolutely do. I feel like that's what music is tapping into. That's my scientific theory. (laughs) I can go with that, yeah. Like, maybe that's why it makes us feel like we have more inner strength I mean that's how I felt when I heard dead inside yeah especially like hearing Matt of all people singing about it I was just like oh my god you've literally experienced the exact same thing I just did and then I like saw him like moving beyond it and it it did give me like a sense Mm -hmm. of hope yeah but in the end I'm the one who decided to move beyond it and start my life over again right yeah. So, I think, like, the individuals should still get all the credit. That's what I think, but I'm always open to having it debated. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I think I agree with that. For sure. Music. I mean, this was definitely, like, a lighter episode, kind of, sort of. Yeah. I, we, um, I mean, let us know what you guys want. Do you want us to always do heavy, dark episodes? Yeah, it's, like, hard for us to gauge, like, do people... As in you guys. Um, <laughs> do you like the heavier stuff that we talk about? Or do you like some of like the lighter episodes thrown in? Like, be honest. Like, Yeah, totally. Tell because us. we want to talk. I mean, we could talk about everything endlessly forever. Sure could. So if there's a preference at all, just let us know. Yeah. Um, but if you want a lighter episode thrown in every now and then where we just talk about something that's kind of not necessarily like superficial, but just just not as like loaded. where it doesn't need a trigger warning. <laughs> yeah, basically <laughs> compared to some episodes. Um. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel since I guess that's actually where the majority yeah. of people are seeing we'll this. Put, like a button right in the middle, I think. Like right well, around here. This will be a button. 
button. So you can subscribe to our YouTube channel and you can turn notifications on so that you'll know exactly when we upload a video. Um, sometimes the video goes live a little bit before we actually get to post it mm -hmm. on our Instagram, so you might get to see it a little early. Um, you can also listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, um, wherever you like listening to podcasts. We are there. We also have a website, gssw.show.com. We also have an Instagram, which is gssw.show as well. Mm -hmm. Um, we post photos, video clips, stuff like that on there. Yep. Sometimes we remember our Twitter, which is also gssw.show. Sorry, Twitter. We forget about <laughs> we you We forget a lot. it. Um, and then, uh, if you want to support the show, you can donate on our Ko-Fi or coffee, which we still don't know how to say, which Not is sure. ko-fi.com slash gssw-show. Yep. Thanks for watching slash listening slash supporting us. We really appreciate it. And, um, bye. 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 Gaia and Sarah saved the world.